Cameron, I just wanted to say that uh, I apologize for not being here a lot. Our, um, the laptop I was using before died and our other computer was so old it had no camera and no sound that I couldn't talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> so I went and bought me a camera and a sound so I'll be able to participate now. <laughs> oh, fine. It's, it's glad to have you back. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, everybody's schedule waxes and wanes and stuff. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to keep up on, on everyone, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad because you're always a, a great asset to the, the conversation and, and things. But yeah. Um, so let's see, starting off, um, uh, we're, this is the second week of uh, this part of the, the great chiasm of Isaiah, which is humiliation and exaltation. And in the, the first half of the Bifid structure, chapters 13 through 23, we see 10 oracles against foreign powers. So I decided to make a, a chart, a map, because, you know, that's what I do. And um, just kind of lining out who these oracles are against and what um, the accusation or the punishment is that, that's coming upon them. So um, we have Babylon, Philistines, Moab, Damascus, Egypt, the wilderness of the West, Duma, Arabia, the arena of spectacles, which is kind of a, a different one, and then Tyre. So on this map here, um, just pointing out that the arena of spectacles, I put it up kind of nearby Greece-ish, but you know, that can go anywhere because it doesn't really have an, uh, an area, but also the wilderness of the West, I haven't really pinpointed down exactly where it's meaning, et cetera, but uh, my best guess at the, the given moment is Assyria as a whole um, uh, in the context of, of what Isaiah is saying, but that could change. Uh, don't take this chart 100% uh, as gospel, but um, just kind of taking a look at Judea there, um, just neighboring uh, Philistia, but um, how they're just surrounded by all of this, this wickedness, both then and uh, in our, our modern context, and uh, what these oracles are against the foreign powers. So um, just kind of taking that and diving right into Isaiah 19 is where I want to go, because Egypt, as Avraham uh, helps point out, Egypt represents the United States of America in uh, the the symbolism for our last days. And uh, the reason being because in uh, the time of um, the, the early children of Israel, they had just come out of Egypt, etc. Egypt before the Assyrian and Babylonian captivities represented the, the main world power at the time. They're the ones that, that provided the, <clears throat> the economy and the, the trade, the political, um, know-how, knowledge, wisdom. It was just kind of the hub for, for everything. It was kind of a melting pot. Uh, I guess you could kind of uh, compare that to the uh, United States. And so <clears throat> in all of Avraham's commentary, he talks about how anytime it's Egypt, you could easily replace the word United States or America in that. So I wanted to do just that with diving into Isaiah 19. And so I'm just going to read this through, but I'm going to be substituting out the, the, the words here, uh, reading from Avraham's translation. 
Um, and I think it's going to be insightful. So I'm going to read the entire thing and then we'll, we'll discuss all of its implications here. So an oracle concerning the United States. When Jehovah enters the United States riding on swift clouds, the idols of the United States will rock at his presence and the Americans' hearts melt within them. I will stir up the Americans against the Americans. They will fight brother against brother and neighbor against neighbor, city against city and state against state. America's spirit shall be drained from within. I will frustrate their plans and they will resort to the idols and to the spiritists, to mediums and witchcraft. Then will I deliver the Americans into the hand of a cruel master. A harsh ruler will subject them, says the Lord Jehovah of hosts. The waters of the lakes shall ebb away as stream beds become desolate and dry. The rivers shall turn foul and America's waterways recede and dry up. Reeds and rushes shall wither, vegetation adjoining canals and estuaries and all things sown along irrigation canals shall shrivel and blown away and be no more. Fishermen will deplore their lot and anglers and canals bemoan themselves. Those who cast nets on water will be in misery. Manufacturers of combed linen and weavers of fine fabrics will be dismayed. The textile workers will know despair and all who work for wages suffer distress. The ministers of Washington DC are utter fools. The wisest of the president's advisors give absurd counsel. How can you say to the president, we ourselves are as wise as the forefathers, the founding fathers? Where are your wise men indeed? Let them please tell you if they can discern it, what Jehovah of hosts has in mind for America. The ministers of Washington DC have been foolish. The officials of New York City deluded. The heads of state have led America astray. Jehovah has permeated them with a spirit of confusion. They have misled America in all that it does, causing it to stagger like a drunkard into his vomit. And there shall be nothing the Americans can do about it, neither head nor tail, palm top or reed. In the day that the Americans will be as a woman fearful and afraid at the brandishing hand Jehovah of hosts wields over them, the land of Judah shall become a source of terror to the Americans. All reminded of it shall dread what Jehovah of hosts had, has in store for them. In that day, five Hebrew-speaking cities in the land of America will swear loyalty to Jehovah of hosts. One shall be known as the city of righteousness. In that day, there shall be an altar erected to Jehovah in the midst of the land of America and a monument to Jehovah at its border. They shall serve as a sign and testimony of Jehovah of hosts in the land of America. When they cry out to Jehovah because of the oppressors, he will send them a savior who will take up their cause and deliver them. Jehovah will make himself known to the Americans and Americans shall know Jehovah in that day. They will worship by sacrifice and offerings and make vows to Jehovah and fulfill them. Jehovah will smite America and by smiting, heal it. They will turn back to Jehovah and he will respond to their pleas and heal them. In that day, there shall be a highway from America to Assyria. Assyrians shall come to eat America and Americans go to Assyria and the Americans shall labor with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel shall be a third party to America and to Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth. Jehovah of hosts will bless them saying, Blessed be America, my people, Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. So, does any of that ring true? Does, do you think that it fits Egypt and America? Uh, what are we looking at? What, what questions, comments, what insights you got? 
Most definitely <laughs> right now. What's Assyria? Yeah, who's Assyria? I don't know. Don't ask me that kind of question. <laughs> I, I have yet to, to really pinpoint that one down to a specific thing. So in Isaiah, right, we have the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. They're kind of interchangeable uh, things here. My best guess is wherever the Antichrist comes from, the arch tyrant, um, in a generality or a composite, that's where Assyria seems to, to be. I don't know. I, I, I'm not as uh, proficient in Isaiah to, to readily uh, pull that out. But, but yeah, it'd be interesting to be able to substitute in uh, something there as well. I think it's definitely a composite of the ones that um, oppress us. I think you could go as far as to, you know, include some of our threats today, like China and stuff. Right. Yeah. So you'll notice, like in verse 13, for example, I. Uh, substituted in Washington, D.C. for Zoan and Knopf for New York, but, you know, that, that could be lots of different places. The Zoan is close to the city of Goshen, and that's where the Israelites were at when they were in bondage, and so kind of the, the political oppressive lawmaking place, and so that's why I put uh, Washington, D.C. there. Knopf was where the, the ruling elite uh, kind of had their their palaces and their vacation homes and uh, the pharaoh. Noph is where um, Moses went to tell pharaoh, let my people go. So Noph and Zoan are very, very similar places. And so I don't know, I just put Washington DC and, and New York in there to kind of be place fillers. But um, very interesting how how things um, happen in these last well, I like I like the way you substituted those things for the uh, for the other for the knob and, and everything. So I, I was kind of curious if you had a substitution for uh, a Syria, but that's okay if you don't. I, I'll give you <laughs> yeah. a point for being able to fill in the rest of the blank. <laughs> yep, it's kind of like one of those ad lib puzzles or whatever. You know, you pick right. a new adjective or pick a new noun or kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I now don't. The, the Assyrians they were always. They were always an aggressive people and they were always trying to conquer and they were always the enemy of israel and they were always the ones who took care of that really oppressed israel when they were not listening to the lord so you know like like your mom said it could be any of our enemies uh i think that right now they're all they're all fighting to be the one yeah, <laughs> North Korea and China and Russia mm -hmm. and uh, and some of the the uh, the Arabian uh, countries. Yeah, I think uh, they're all kind of fighting. They're all trying to position themselves in places where they could jump in and claim territory when the Americans uh, kill themselves over over meaningless stuff mm -hmm. yeah. so 
and we see that different. in some of these like end time visions or near death experiences and stuff. You know, we we see. And that I don't think you know they'll they'll be in a in collusion with each other only to the fact that the enemy of my enemy is my ally, mm -hmm. but they will not. Once the they they had no longer have a common enemy, then they will it'll be all for their own, and they will do what they can to eliminate everybody else who is in competition. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's kind of a, a scary time, but as we see from kind of the the patterns, you know, that the elect of God only have to suffer a few of the the major distresses in full and the call out or or different shields of protection can uh help us in the last times that's what righteousness is all about um you know we might be lumped in with with everybody as a whole but uh in in god's protection clause of the davidic covenant there are certain uh guarantees there for uh the destroying angel to to pass over kind of thing which i think is <laughs> great because i don't want <laughs> all of this compounded upon uh my head and uh, on forever and ever that would be awful <laughs> okay. so cameron i just sent you a link in messenger i okay. hopefully you would have it it is to some pictures that i think um really give a a clear picture of what verses uh i think five six and seven are talking about uh -huh. hopefully it comes through right yeah let me pull it up real quick yeah so <laughs> the thunder and the lightning is just spooking my dog she's going crazy so if she's uh -huh. starting barking don't <laughs> Didn't even hear it. <laughs> and hopefully the link will take you to the right thing uh-huh yep here it goes um pictures of lake orville in california there you go. Yeah, right? Because like that first so, picture is what it usually is, right? That was three years ago. That was in 2019. Well, 1819. And then the second picture is in April of this year. And the bottom picture is recently. Oh my gosh. I mean, there's literally nothing left, hardly. <laughs> right. It wow. very, looks very, very much like a reservoir that is just north of us in Paiute County. Yeah. It's very similar. Yeah. It's so this not, is ours isn't as large, but it's as empty. Mm -hmm. So let's look back at verse five here. What's it say? The waters of the lake shall ebb away as stream beds become desolate and dry. The rivers shall turn foul and Egypt's waterways recede and dry up. Reeds and rushes so wither, vegetation adjoining canals and estuaries, and all things sown along irrigation channels shall shrivel and blow away and be no more. Now, this um, this lake in California used to feed all sorts of agriculture. Yeah, I imagine. And I mean, they have they have cut off sixty six hundred farmers in California. They've cut the water off. So. Um, if the farmers aren't getting the water anymore and they're, you know, to irrigate the crops, think of all of the things that we normally get in our grocery stores that come from California. Yeah. Now I, I am very aware of where things come from because of my produce that I do. And, um, I, it's the middle of summer. We should be paying summer prices for things, 
I'm paying higher than winter prices for yeah. most mm -hmm. produce right now. And I'm buying wholesale. Yeah, that's crazy. I, yeah, I've seen some random thing about tomatoes. Like a lot of the tomato crops have failed because it needs so much water and there's just not any. And so expect all of the tomato products to, to really skyrocket in price uh, over this year and next year, like canned goods, et cetera. They're going to be in high demand, very high cost. Like, oh man, <laughs> good thing I, I stock up on, on stuff little by little so that I can uh, kind of avoid some of those uh, price hikes and, and things when, when all of that hits. Mm -hmm. One of the things well, with tomatoes is that when the tomato, when the temperature outside is consistently 90 degrees or above, the tomato plants won't set fruit. They will drop their blossoms. So they will have blossoms and then they'll drop them and you won't see any fruit. And that's what we've been running into here in Utah in June and July. People are you know, normally tomatoes, they love full sun and you have great fruit by this time. The fruit that we have right now, it's all green and we're just hoping that it stays. It keeps setting more blossoms because we're watering. But even if you water, if it is so hot, they won't set the fruit and you won't get tomato crops. And there are all sorts of people, um, a lot of my friends in my homesteading group who are talking about how they're worried that they won't be able to get tomatoes. They won't be able to can their tomatoes this year like they were planning. Yeah. So look for anything, ketchup, pizza sauce, pizzas, tomato sauce, spaghetti sauce, tomato paste, all of those things are gonna go up in price even more than they have once the, the rest of the crop fails. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Kind of the oil in the lamp principle, I mean, uh -huh. <laughs> it, once it hits the, the time for preparation is actually over you can't just go buying and, and selling kind of thing no and and we have a lot of that going on we have people who have their money in savings right mm -hmm. they're like oh, you know i want to have my savings i've been having my savings and i didn't go into debt but you know my money is in savings and then i can decide where i need to put it but if they haven't stocked up on their food storage at some point in time your money is not going to do any good even if you had it in physical silver and gold, you're not going to be able to buy food because mm -hmm. it, it well, won't be available. You guys, there's another aspect to think about. Um, you know, we all prayed hard for rain and it's coming. But in our area, we grow lots and lots of alfalfa that we send to California and um it feeds the dairies and guess what since the rain has not stopped for two weeks the hay is black mm -hmm. yes we needed the rain but a lot of the hay was cut a lot of the hay was down it's going to be worthless there's yeah. another one more little place where you're going to see the prices go up and if you haven't got your supplies now, you're almost too late. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's gonna I be mean, a very few years <laughs> just on that alone. Uh, we, well, we better, I would, I would say you better get anything you want in the next two weeks. Mm -hmm. that was, that's what worries me. We are emergency preparedness specialists and they've asked us to do the fifth Sunday in August. And I'm like, <laughs> it's Sunday in August. So that's kind of like, 
closing the barn door after the horse horse is out because uh, I mean I can get up there and I can tell people look you need to be doing this and doing it now but so many have not done anything and I'm just afraid they're they're going to be too late yeah it, it's it's going to be a day late and a dollar short yeah I'll tell you what we're doing right now Nancy um and I think you'd be well to suggest it. We have an extra lot. We've gone and we've bought drip systems to go on it. We've bought seeds enough to stock it for a community. Because mm -hmm. that's what we're going to have to do is that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and we have lots of, we personally have lots of seeds that we have stocked and we have stored and we have um, emergency seeds and we have extra seeds and, you know, you can save seeds. Um, but I, there are so many, you know, there's so few of us who are actually prepared or are doing things. It, it's going right. to get so hard. And I, I just feel so, I feel for all of these people. Oh. Yeah, I live in like a small community. I mean, we're all pretty storage minded uh, for the most part. But, you know, when when worse comes to worse, that living in, in bigger communities and cities and stuff, it's like, oh, no, that, that's going to be real hard. People that have gotten used to just going to the grocery store each week to, to get their stuff for zero waste and all that. Yeah, that's going to be a scary. Yeah, they'll process. spend their last dollar for gas to get to our places <laughs> to get because yeah. they know they can grow here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're yeah, down in, um, you're down like where are you at, Elaine? Anguish. Okay. Bryce. Oh, okay. You're you're down there a ways. Okay. Quite a ways. And there's a lot of us in southern Utah that are preparing more to grow our own. We have a lot of farmers here. I have a brother that has a large farm. This is my dad's farm. And uh, we are prepared with, I have personally, seven buckets of seed wheat, seven five-gallon buckets of seed wheat. Yeah. Because that's what we're going to have to plant is that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's, there's a lot, and we're already seeing it. We are such a small community that in the past they have built one to two houses a year in our, in our community have been one to two new houses a year. We have 24 new houses that have been built this year. Wow. Yeah. And Filling up and being sold as fast as they can build them. Yeah. You're being invaded by Californians. <laughs> uh, yeah. Actually, a lot of Salt Lake. Really? A lot. A lot of Salt Lake bought these houses. So yeah. the Californians are coming up here. They're selling their houses and then coming down to you. The <laughs> <laughs> hell. That's interesting. Yeah, we have a lot of California and Oregon usually mm -hmm. uh, around here, the houses that we're building, but it's, it's a crazy market right now. And we that's only like three or four of these verses in this chapter. <laughs> like, yep, that's but right. This is it. And we have, this is a, right now. Yeah. It is. It's right now. It's what's happening. We have a saying here, and it's don't California my Utah. 
Okay. <laughs> I like it. That bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah. You've seen that bumper sticker. We love it. Exactly. And so There's these. Uh -huh. Yeah, go for it. These others are becoming. These other verses are are similar too. Anyway. Uh huh. Yeah. So I mean, we've seen this for quite a while, right? Where the the ministers of Washington D.C. etc. are are utter fools, give absurd counsel. I mean, uh, if we didn't see this play out in 2020 with all of the <laughs> absurd counsel that we received from all sides, <laughs> I I think that, that that fits so so promptly. It's coming back too. It's coming back too. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty dang quick. It's time to hunker down again. Ah, it's crazy. Um, but have misled Egypt or America and all that it does, causing it to stagger like a drunkard into its vomit. Like, I mean, we're just going back and forth. I mean, we're there. I don't even know what to compare it to. That like we just kind of go with the flow. Whatever we're told, we're just like dumb sheep kind of thing. Uh, as a, a general uh, body, kind of seems like. Um. But let's see, this was an interesting verse here. So like 18 and 19. So in that day, five Hebrew speaking cities in the land of Egypt. Let me pull up the comparative translation because this one changes quite dramatically from King James to the uh, Isaiah Institute. So let me read the King James of 18 and then uh, go there. So it says, in that day shall five cities in the land of Egypt speak the language of Canaan and swear to the Lord of hosts, one shall be called the city of destruction. Versus the this new translation that Abraham did, uh, where he goes with the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, he he proof checks it a lot. It says that in that day, five Hebrew speaking cities in the land of Egypt will swear loyalty to Jehovah of hosts. One shall be known as the city of righteousness. So interesting that it's a city of righteousness versus city of destruction in the King James. I, I found that an interesting parallel that uh, was pointed out last hour. But um, but if you look at the, the Hebrew and uh, all of the, the different comparisons, uh, it, it definitely is city of righteousness. It is not city of destruction. That was a, a mistranslation. Um, but what, what do you think that means in that day that there's going to be five Hebrew speaking cities uh, in America that will swear loyalty to Jehovah of hosts? What does that mean to you? What can we interpret from that? I, I think it's going to be five cities or areas of people who are um, faithful to Christ, mm -hmm. right? Who are listening to the Lord, who are not following Babylon and the things in the world. Um, you know, maybe there might, you know, we keep talking a lot about New Jerusalem and everything like that, but I think there's going to be more places of refuge besides New Jerusalem. And maybe it's, that's what these five are. Maybe the city of righteousness is New Jerusalem, mm -hmm. but um, the rest, I think, will be these other um, places of refuge for those people who don't want to um, and, and can't get to New Jerusalem. Yeah. You know, I know that there's a number of um, number of people out there on YouTube who are talking about where New Jerusalem is going to be, and they keep advocating it for it to be Salt Lake. Right, but I think this is one. Uh, 
Oh, um, oh, but no. you know, if one is going to be known as the city of righteousness, I can I can say that's not going to be Salt Lake because even Brigham Young said that Salt Lake is going to be one of the most wicked places on earth. It's not going to be known as a city of righteousness, and so um, you know that might be our temporary headquarters right for this season but it is quickly degenerating into a very very wicked place and um i i think that the people who want to escape babylon are going to have to leave which is why you know like you said elaine all these people are leaving salt lake and they're coming down to you right so you know i yeah. i just think there's going to be probably five big areas of um of righteousness pockets of Zion um, eventually around the country. Yeah. Where there, those people who want to be, um, follow the Lord will gravitate to those ones who don't want to fight each other, who don't want to do all of this other, you know, like it talked about in the beginning of, um, you know, man against, you know, family against family, that kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Neighbor against neighbor, city against city, state against state. Because I see that coming. Um, Jody Stoddard, just on one of her Facebook things, recommended a book um, one second after a couple weeks ago. And so I got it on Audible and I listened to it. It is very eye opening, but it is very <laughs> much it, it came to me that it's very much the the story of the people in the world, the people who are not part of Zion. And I don't think that um we'll have to deal with that as I, much. I don't think that that's our story right because we are already awake enough we know this is what zion is we are going to gather with zion but this is the story of the rest of the world and i think that it's very interesting to see what the rest of the world is going to have to go through and the stuff in that story is very much just some of these same same things that isaiah is talking about and I'm, I'm seeing many of the warning signs of similar things, whether, you know, it's all about the world after an EMP, right? But whether or not these things are brought on by an EMP or by something else, it really doesn't matter. It's, it's more of the story of what happens when things break down. Mm -hmm. And if you know, this is what happens. All the more reason to be in Zion and to be where the Lord tells you to be so that you don't have to endure that. So I think that's what these, to me, that's what these five cities are, is these groups of righteous people who serve each other and are not out for their own kill or be killed. Yeah, because that mentality would be just like ridiculous, you know. <clears throat> in uh, Avraham's commentary on this verse, he mentions five cities or city-states in the land of Egypt. Um, and... Uh, I don't know, like when you were talking, it kind of reminded me of, um, you know, with Visions of Glory, he talks about like the tent cities, but also the cities of light that some mm -hmm. of the tent cities merge into, you know, that there's these, you know, five big nucleuses of uh, cities of light that uh, people kind of migrate to once they uh, get their handle on the, the shutdown of everything, uh, kind of congregate and, and start uh, coming back together to, to form these five cities. I think it's a very interesting uh, thing to contemplate and, and look toward like, okay, 
we we just gotta we know that there's five of them so we just gotta pick our closest one and, <laughs> and go there kind of thing right because you know you read visions of glory and you see what you know spencer saw and yes things are tough but they're not it's not depressing it's not it's not um is awful right mm -hmm. um because they trust in god and the lord will deliver them he will make them humble because the lord will have a humble people yeah. but he will deliver them and I, I i contrast that like i said with this other book that is it, it um it's very much just realistically what will happen in the rest of the world mm -hmm. and you know people will group together right they will band together and they will do things. They will try to defend themselves and things. And I see a lot of that talk even in the prepper world, right? Um, of you know, well, you got to get your group together and band together and make sure you have enough ammo, make sure you have enough all these things. Um, but I think in this in the cities of righteousness, you know, the cities of light, I don't think ammo is going to be an issue. I think yeah. it's going to be the power of God is going to be what protects those people, and. And they will be holy places because what are we told? We're told to stand in holy places and be not moved. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love it. Uh, thinking about all that is just like, sometimes it's a little overwhelming. Like, okay, so it's a fine balance of like prepping to the hilt versus relying on on Jehovah's arm. You know, like we, we got this, you know, it, whatever we don't have will be provided for with, with faith and uh that law of mercy that, that comes into effect kind of thing. Um, Our job is not to feed the 5,000. It's to provide the loaves and fishes. That's also true. That, I love so, that because with like the Elijah story, you know, as it, a yeah. person, he was able to, to bless the barrel that it would um, to regenerate and uh, provide mm -hmm. the miracle kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah. In our storage, we have sufficient for our needs. But if the Lord sends people to us who need more, then that's when we will ask him to please multiply what we have so that it will be sufficient, not only for our needs, but for the people who he sends to us. I love that. Yeah. And it, it could be that that five is just uh, some numbers, you know, aren't exact numbers like the 144,000 and stuff. Mm -hmm. This five might be, you know, a few, you know, it might not be mm -hmm. exact. I don't know. I, I just throwing that out there. Mm -hmm. What is the symbolism for num the number five, Cameron? You're you're our expert on that. <laughs> well, the first thing that that comes to mind, honestly, is going from Egypt or the United States, which is fifty, down to five. So it's you know that that fraction of it, uh, interestingly <laughs> enough, and then. Um, five i mean it can go to, to lots of different things but uh mostly to christ you know the the five points of of crucifixion um the, the like the wounds i'm talking about um mm -hmm. what other things occur in fives the the day star morning star uh imagery there everything seems to, to point to five uh to to christ so i just looked up something and this is interesting in light of this right the mm -hmm. number five is a symbol of God's grace. So if we mm -hmm. have five cities of, um, of light, so to speak, might they be all the cities of light that are, are protected by God's grace? Mm -hmm. So it might not, you're right, um, Darlene, maybe it's not 
a set number, but it's the it's the it's all of those places of refuge, all of those places around the temples, right, where people yeah. will gather to um, be protected by God. Mm -hmm. I like that. <laughs> yeah, because like the temple thing, I mean, with the whole Cardston being a city of light and everything, uh -huh. well, that's not in this Egypt uh, place, unless Egypt is kind of the greater Egypt, the whole continent. But, but yeah, interesting. Uh, temple imagery, uh, looking at the uh, kind of a fraction from 50 down to five, uh, being a tenth and... Um, well, and doesn't Isaiah say something about um, basically the tithe of the tithe, right? It's mm -hmm. the Levitical portion. Yeah. That's what's going to be. So it's not going to be um, five. It's not going to be 10%. It's going to be 10% of 10%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's 1%. Think about those numbers. Yeah. That's not so big. <laughs> yep. And, <laughs> I mean, and it is big. It is still big, but comparatively speaking, mm -hmm. for all the people who are around, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, I also then, think uh -huh. the statement of "be not moved" is going to take on a quite stronger and more literal position. Yeah. So you know, once you're there, you don't leave. For any reason, so mm -hmm. I, I don't yeah, know. Once you leave Babylon, I'm going to interpret that. that right now. But I'm getting the feeling that that's what "be not moved," stand ye in holy places and be not moved, is going to mean a lot, because you step outside the holy place and you are no longer under the protection of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, um, and I think we have those spiritual holy places, and we have the temporal holy places. Right, right mm -hmm. now, our our spiritual um, attitudes and development and and things along those lines are, are more in the forefront right now. But I think that they will eventually merge with those temporal things, and you know it will all come together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, somehow the Lord has a perfect plan, and He'll get it all worked out. We just have to follow the promptings, hear him, and, and do our part kind of thing. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so verse 19 here is, is pretty interesting. It says that in that day, there shall be an altar erected to Jehovah in the midst of the land of America and a monument to Jehovah at its border. And so um, uh, with the, the temple imagery, that altar um, having it be... Uh, denoting both the atonement for transgression and also an altar of consecrated offerings versus a monument at Egypt's border suggesting a memorial erected by Jehovah's people who dwelt there. Anyway, any thoughts and, and ideas on, on that verse? What, what does that mean to have this altar and monument? Uh, why is this so important to this chapter and, and this oracle for us in the latter days? Well, the monument may be a signpost, may be uh, uh, something to guide them or give instructions to the, to the central point, to, to where the altar is. Mm -hmm. Now, it only, <clears throat> now, I don't know how many borders 
will have a monument. And if they're all going to have a monument or if there's just going to be one place where people can go, I don't know. Right now, there's only one border that's open. But um, it's, I, I think the Lord, the Lord is also bringing people to the United States yeah. who have been oppressed, who have been, who have been, in a, in a bad space. And even though all of this stuff is going on in the United States, it's still better than from where they were. Now, I, you know, and I think that these people, if they're God fearing people, the Lord will be moving them closer to Zion, closer to holy places and closer to being taught. And then they will begin to realize the Lord in their, and the miracles of the Lord in their lives. And, and many of these will be people that we will have to welcome in uh, because they are willing to make covenants and, and to stand in holy places too. But right now, a lot of them are, are being guided while the window is open. Mm -hmm. uh, not, to, not to say that there are many refugees uh, guided by the adversary as well you know it, it's 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 as broad as it is long for both sides wherever wherever uh the light has a as an advantage darkness has an equal advantage that's the way it always will be yeah i i think that the altar i think it is representing the temple in the new jerusalem the yeah. big, the big altar that you know of the the temple with the twelve around, built by each of the twelve tribes, right? I, I think that that will be the altar erected to Jehovah in the midst of the land, in the middle of the country. Where's the middle of the country? Missouri. <laughs> yes, <it is. laughs> uh, there it is. You know that's where it's going to be. Now where that border is, and that border, I, I wondered, you know, did, will the border change? Mm -hmm. Will the yeah. border expand as Zion expanded? And just like what Spencer talked about in Visions of Glory, right? As more people come and as more people live the Zion life, the borders, the people don't necessarily move into Zion. The borders of Zion expand out. And mm -hmm. then the people either have to live that Zion lifestyle or they have to move further out to remain outside of it as Zion spreads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. I think that you're right of when you said the altar definitely is going to be that temple. To me, that is obvious. Mm -hmm. But um, the, the monument could already be being built. If you look in the borders of our country, we have temples being built or have been built in the borders of our country all along the Eastern Seacoast, all along the Western Seacoast. Um, and so if Zion expands to fill the whole country, they're there. That's true. Just yeah. a thought. Just yeah, another exactly. thought. The, the, the altar being the main one, that main temple kind of thing, versus right. monuments mm -hmm. being all of the other temples that are uh, being that border that's that, uh, pointing to the main. I, I like that, yeah. Um, 
let's see. Yeah, we got lots of fun stuff in, in this chapter. I, I don't know. I loved, uh, as soon as I read chapter 19, I was like, okay, this is the one we've got to read. Because um, there's just so much in it. And it's very enlightening to, to think about America's future and, and things. Um, going back to um, this chart that I had originally posted, that um, we have all of these 10 oracles against foreign powers here in the humiliation and exaltation part of of Isaiah. This is kind of the crux of everything. Uh, when we get to the apex of a, a chiasm, uh, that's the focal point. And what's the focal point? It's oracles against foreign powers, the, the great humiliation um, before exaltation. And so um, anyway, taking a look at these and, and how Egypt has a main part in there um, and, and taking that same study principle going out to, to all of these other ones. Uh, we had uh, quite a, a discussion on arena of spectacles and the Olympics, etc. cetera, um, with the uh, wilderness of the West, um, Babylon. I mean, there's there's lots of things to, to talk about and study and everything. There's just not, not enough time to, to cover everything, but I highly recommend uh, taking a look at, at each of these chapters and what is befalling all of these foreign powers who do not keep the covenant as they once exalted themselves, they will be abased and, and humiliated. And all of them point to a greater Babylon imagery in chapter 47. So the second part of the Bifid structure, it, this is the very lopsided um, version of, or uh, rung of the the chiasm all of the other ones have kind of like a half and half principle as far as chapters go but this one is very lopsided there's all of these um oracles in the first half chapters 13 through 23 and then one solo chapter in 47 that takes all of those as a composite and and lumps them all into this greater babylon that will be uh utterly ruined uh, just kind of giving a, a quick uh, nod to it. Um, is this your chart or is this a chart from the Isaiah Institute? No, that's just my chart. I, you know, and it might be wrong too. I don't know. <laughs> are you, well, no, I, I, I didn't know if it was something on their website you clicked on. Uh, are you putting this up somewhere that we can get? Uh, yeah. So it's on the Learning Zion uh, website yeah. as well. Um, but yeah, if anybody wants any of like the slides, like I've just been kind of creating some as we go along um, just to kind of help me because as I'm studying, because I'm new to Isaiah. And so, I don't know, I have to kind of chart things out to kind of get a, an idea of stuff. I've been looking and Googling charts each week, but Isaiah is one of the ones that doesn't have a lot of visual imagery associated with it yet. People haven't put the time and effort into it. Isaiah Institute is coming along, especially Rodolfo's getting some, some good stuff there, but um yeah, just trying to get some visuals uh, to compare out things. That's how I work. That's <laughs> kind of what I try to do. I wish I had more time each week. I, I'd come up with lots more charts and, and things, but but yeah, on the, the Learning Zion website, that's where I've uh, kind of put each of those uh, each week. I found it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um. So chapter 47, just kind of a couple of little verses here. Um, it says, get down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Squat on the ground, dethroned, O daughter of the Chaldeans. 
You shall no more be spoken of as delicate and refined. Take two grindstones and grind flour. Unveil, disrobe, and bare your legs. Wade through streams. Your nakedness shall be exposed, your shame uncovered. I will take vengeance and not be untreated of men, says our Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, whose name is Jehovah of hosts. So, I mean, the, the chapter just kind of <coughs> repeats itself with how Babylon is, is utterly debased. Um, uh, like verse two talks about taking two grindstones and, and not having clothing. This is slave imagery. Um, Babylon will be put into the bondage that it has likewise put other people in bondage for so long. Um, all of the, the delicate and refinedness that, that she thought she was um, is, is completely debased in, in the end time. But um, yeah, anyway, any kind of final co uh, comments or thoughts or anything on uh, what we read or Isaiah's general? It's here. Yeah, isn't it crazy that, that i mean growing up i always knew that i'd be around for the second coming that was just kind of a thing in my the back of my head but i never i don't know if i fully believed it or not because now that i'm starting to study and everything it's like oh no it's it's like it's actually here okay okay whoa <laughs> it's kind of uh humbling sometimes to kind of think about it and and then uh likewise okay so now what now that we know that it's here like, what's my mission? What do I do? How do I, how do I navigate this? What do I, uh, you know, like just <laughs> this last week, well, two weeks ago, uh, an opportunity what to, to buy some abandoned grain elevators were, was presented and I bought it and it's like, okay, now what? <laughs> like, <laughs> what do you want me to do with this kind of stuff? I don't have money. I don't have the know with all to, to do some of these things, but just trusting the Lord, he'll provide the way. We'll, we'll get through it kind of thing, but. Do you have a silo? Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me find a picture of him. Um, one of the things that came across my um purview this week and I have heard it many times before and we've actually referred to it quite a bit especially lately but um it was uh you know George Q Cannon's quote on the natural fulfillment of prophecy and uh, you know the Lord works in the midst of this this people by natural means and that the greatest events that have been spoken of by the holy prophets will come along so naturally as the consequence of certain causes that unless our eyes are enlightened by the spirit of God and the spirit of revelation rests on, rests on us, we will fail to see that these are the events predicted by the holy prophets. Yeah, and I love it, that. It, it's actually longer, but, you know, there is, um, let's see, it says it requires the spirit of God to enable men and women to understand the things of God. The spirit of, it requires the spirit of God to enable the people to comprehend the work of God and to perceive his movements and providences among the children of men. The man who is destitute of the spirit of God cannot comprehend the work of God. A woman whose mind has not been enlightened by that spirit cannot see or comprehend any of these events that take place in fulfillment of the prophecies of the holy prophets. If you take two persons, one who has the spirit of God 
whose mind is enlightened by that spirit, the spirit of revelation, the same spirit that rested upon the prophets who wrote the revelations and prophecies we have. You take a man of that kind and then take another who has none of that spirit and put the two together. And the one man's eyes will be open to see the hand of God in all these events. He will notice his movements and his providence and everything connected with his work. And they will be testimonies to him to strengthen his faith and to furnish his mind with continual reasons for giving thanks to and worshiping God. While the man who has not the spirit of God will see nothing godlike in the occurrence, nothing which he will view as supernatural, as many as suppose everything which exhibits God's power to be, or nothing which he will accept as a fulfillment of prophecies. His eyes will be closed, his heart will be hardened, and to all the evidences of the divinity of these things, he will be impenetrable. Wow. Yeah, I love that. L in the chat asked if you could share that on Learning Zion, that quote and stuff. That, that's very powerful. I will. I mean, it, and there's more of it. There's a lot more of it. So yeah, yeah. I'll put the whole thing um, in which group? <laughs> there's the Isaiah group, right? Uh -huh, yeah, just like on, on this week's lesson. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I've been a bad girl. I haven't been on there very much lately. Oh, no, don't worry about it. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It that was a prompting too, but I, you know, with everybody not leaving Facebook, Facebook not getting shut down and policed and stuff, you know, it's kind of interesting. Whatever, it's just an Isaiah group. Not yet. It's not yet. <laughs> yeah, not yet. Give it time. I think, I think it's coming. Yeah. I just acted on the prompting. We'll see what, <laughs> what it actually comes down to when it gets there, but. Is that the Isaiah Institute one? Is that uh, where you yeah. put it? Is in the Isaiah Institute one? Okay, yeah, I will. Um, I will copy that and put it there. Mm -hmm. oh, for sure. <laughs> so I found this really interesting video on these. Somebody took a drone and uh, um, captured some video of these green elevators. So this is the the ones. It's just an, an abandoned ghost town that's like, I don't know, a few miles north of, of Malta here. But they, there used to be a railroad that, that ran by it and stuff, but just these weird grain elevators. <laughs> what kind of condition are the rail tracks in? Oh, everything's been totally uh, decimated and stuff. The, the railroad grade itself was leveled out and everything. It's, there's nothing along that route so you're now the, now the proud owner of a couple of grain elevators out in the middle of nowhere yeah it, it's the most random thing but cool. I, yeah <laughs> hey Lord told me to restore those railroads <laughs> yep but we'll we'll see what that amounts to but <laughs> i don't know it, it was too much of a coincidence to be a coincidence so i was like okay i'll act on it and i'll buy them but you gotta help me out on that one <laughs> but the the first thing that was given to me was like create uh, recreate it spiritually before it's created physically and i don't know i'm trying to work on on that part of it <laughs> we'll see how that goes okay <laughs> Um, yeah, any 
Other last com oh, sorry, Janet had a chat in here. She says that our friend who works on the border in Texas said at his station alone, five to 700 people are coming through a day. That's pretty alarming, right? Because <laughs> we know that there's a lot of stations, right? I mean, there's uh, quite a bit, but yeah, that's, it's amazing <laughs> the times we live in, <laughs> say the least. Well, any last comments or anything? I'm excited for education week coming up. That's going to be awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, the quote is on Learning Zion. I just posted it. Okay. I look forward Thank to that. you. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody else going to education week? My mom's going to go down on Monday, I think. Are you coming, Cameron? Are you staying yeah. with us? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, they, they just decided that they were going to just do Mondays and take care of the dogs and stuff. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll take you up on that offer and we'll stay with you for Tuesday through Friday or well, all week, I guess. Um, we'll work out the logistics, <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm excited. Absolutely. Lots of early mornings and late nights. We will go all day. <laughs> it's fun. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been fun and exciteful. We'll see everyone next week. Okay. See Bye. ya. Bye.